Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today, the Church in the West celebrates one of the most important events in our faith, and that is Resurrection Sunday. The Greek Orthodox uh, Church, as well as the other Orthodox, uh, like the Russian Orthodox believers, have a tradition that 40 days after the Resurrection, they greet each other with Christ is risen. And uh, that is a tradition, not many follow today, but I think it's a wonderful tradition to confess that Jesus Christ is risen. And when you meet someone and on the road or on the telephone, you say, Christos Anesti, which means Christ is risen, and the other person responds with a positive yes, Truly, Christ the Lord is risen. What a wonderful way to greet each other instead of just saying Happy Easter. So I greet you all. To some of you, it's morning, uh, while others, it's afternoon. I have a very special message for you today. And it is given in a form of a question. And the title of my message is, If Christ is risen from the dead, why are so many believers still in prison? Now, let me explain that there are many kinds of prisons, not just physical prisons, but there are prisons that are spiritual, others mental prisons, others emotional prisons. And so I want to try to answer this question from a biblical perspective today. Christ is risen from the dead, and those who are united with him, they have been raised together with him. That's what the scripture says. And we have been seated together in the heavenly places, redeemed from the curse of the law. The question is, If that is the case, why so many who profess faith in Christ continue to live in a cycle of fear, in a cycle of sickness and disease, of poverty and lack? Many are in prisons of guilt and condemnation, while others are in prisons of shame. And I want to try and answer this question from the biblical perspective point of view. What does the word say? Why is it this way? And in order to lay a foundation, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 through to verse 9. So if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, let's read together these portions of scripture. They are very revealing. They give us a picture of our identity in Christ because 
he conquered death. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 9, And you, speaking to you and me, to every believer in Jesus Christ, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is a picture of the believer declaring that Christ made us alive together with him. He raised us up from the death of our sins in which we once walked according to the course of this world. And he has seated us together in heavenly places far above all principality and power and name that is named. That is where we are seated spiritually in Christ Jesus. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ has authorized the believer and empowered the believer and enabled the believer to prosper and to walk in victory every single day of our lives. The blood, his precious blood, which was willingly and lovingly shed on the cross, paid fully for our redemption and deliverance. And the highest court in the universe has declared us justified, righteous, and delivered from the curse of the law. The curse of the law no longer has dominion over us according to the word of God. Now, this curse of the law contained three things. First, spiritual death, sickness and disease, and poverty and lack. According to the scriptures, we are redeemed and delivered from the curse and have entered into the blessing of Abraham. Now, if we have been authorized to walk in the blessing of Abraham, how come, this is the question, so many who believe in Jesus continue to live in a cycle of defeat, of sickness, of disease, of fear, 
of stress and anxiety and worry and guilt and shame and all those things which the world daily experiences. If the prison doors have been opened through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, how come so many are still in these prisons? Now, I'm going to give you three answers or three reasons why many of the believers continue to live in a cycle of defeat. The first one, of course, is a lack of knowledge or an unrenewed mind. You see, when we got born again, our spirit man was made new through Jesus Christ, by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We have become a new man, according to the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. All things is talking about the spirit man. All things within your spirit Old things have passed away and everything has become new. You are a new creation in Christ. But the soul or the mind is still untouched. And one of the main reasons believers continue to live in a cycle of defeat is because they have not taken the time to renew their minds with the knowledge of God's word. And Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, as well as Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, confirms that. Hosea says that God's people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, he's not speaking about academic knowledge. He's not speaking about um, uh, natural knowledge, but spiritual knowledge that comes from the Word of God as interpreted to us by the Spirit of God. Hosea also, or Isaiah rather, confirms that in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, that says that God's people have gone into captivity or prison because they have no knowledge. Our greatest enemy today is not the devil because he has been defeated, is not sin because sin has been dealt with. Our greatest enemy is spiritual ignorance. What you do not know can destroy you. Understanding what took place at the cross through the death of Christ, as well as understanding our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, is the key to living a victorious life. When we accept by faith on what took place on our behalf on the cross, it releases us from the dominion of darkness and elevates us to a place of authority and blessing. You may have heard this more than once. But that does not mean that just because we heard it once or twice or ten times, we believe it. Or our mind is fully renewed with the truths and the realities that we have heard. The way to freedom 
spiritual freedom is through revelation knowledge. You need to understand that. The way to freedom, the more knowledge you have of the word, the greater your freedom and liberty will be in the spirit. So the way to spiritual freedom and liberty is through the pathway of revelation knowledge. And revelation knowledge comes through a renewed mind, a mind that has been renewed in its way of thinking. As Paul said to the Ephesian, to the Ephesian believers, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind has a spirit, and that spirit needs to be renewed with the word of God as interpreted to us by the spirit of God. Now, in order to explain this, let's take a look at the Old Testament example and learn a vital and important principle from the deliverance of Israel from the dominion of Pharaoh and of Egypt. We need to look back and see what happened at Passover and so that we can learn a vital principle. As you recall, the Israelites were delivered from death through the application of the blood from the sacrificial lamb. And the Lord spoke to them through Moses and said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That is why it is called Passover. Even though the blood of the Lamb delivered them from the angel of death, they still had to make a move and get out of Egypt quickly. Remember, the Lord spoke through Moses to them and said, eat the lamb in a hurry and get out of Egypt. They did not remain in Egypt. This is very important. By the same token, we were saved, delivered from the power of Satan through the blood of our sacrificial lamb, who is none other than Christ Jesus, our Savior. But, we must also make a move out of the dominion of darkness by the renewing of our minds. The way we get out of our spiritual Egypt or out of our worldly way of thinking is through the renewing of our minds. That's the only way you get out of slavery, out of bondage, into the liberty, the glorious liberty that God had set us free in Christ Jesus. We must make our exodus out of a worldly mindset, out of the world's way of thinking, out of the world's way of talking and behaving so that we may experience true transformation and freedom in the Holy Spirit. Paul explains this so well in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and he says the following, Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't allow the system or the culture of this world to mold you into its way of thinking and doing. But he says, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, 
that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is no other way for us to get out of slavery, out of prison, out of spiritual, um, how can I put it, um, spiritual, um, ha- uh, out, of, out of the curse, for instance, without the renewing of our minds. That's the only way we can get out. If we continue to think the same way the world thinks, we will experience the same thing the world experiences. Now, those who refuse to renew their minds with the truth of God's word continue to remain in bondage, bondage to fear, and they continue to experience what the world experiences because they are in their territory. Even though they are saved through the blood of Jesus, they cannot experience true freedom and liberty because they continue to remain in the world through their unrenewed minds. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, referring to Babylon, referring to a worldly way of thinking and doing. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And we need to give heed to the word of the Lord when he says, come out of her. We need to get out of her quickly as the Israelites quickly got out of Egypt. For the word says, for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, Paul writes to the Corinthians and basically says the same thing. Let's read that together in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through to 18, we read the following. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Notice that Paul says the believer is righteous. The believer is the temple of the living God. What agreement, he says, can there be between the temple of God and the idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The instructions here from God, our Heavenly Father, are very clear. He says, come out. How do you come out? By changing the way you think, and that will result by changing the way we behave, the way we live, the way we view life, 
the way we value things. We don't value what the world values. We value what God values. And according to Matthew 6.33, we ought to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to us, Jesus said. You see, an unrenewed mind is an ignorant mind. And spiritual ignorance, as I've mentioned, is the number one cause of believers being destroyed. Now, it is interesting also to note that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, Scripture says the following. Psalms 105 verse 37, a very enlightening and important verse of Scripture. Psalms 105 verse 37, the Word declares that God brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among the tribes. Just stop for a moment and think. Can you imagine? Three and a half million people. And I'm sure among those people, there were some elderly people. Not one person was sick or feeble among them. After they had eaten the Passover lamb, and they left Egypt. In other words, when they partook of the lamb, they were healed, they were restored, they were strengthened. And as they came out, Scripture says, not one feeble person was among their tribes. That is a miraculous event. Not only that, but... The Bible says they came out with silver and with gold. That's also very important. They were not just redeemed from death, but they were also redeemed from poverty as well as sickness and disease. That is the whole package of our redemption and salvation. Yes, thank God, we are delivered from spiritual death unto spiritual life, but that's not all. We also delivered from the curse of sickness and disease, as well as poverty and lack. The Egyptians, who oppressed them for years, gave them silver and gold all the years of unpaid wages, which was due to them. In fact, the Bible says they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Speak about transference of wealth. There was a major transference of wealth when they came out of Egypt. The word of God says that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22. You can start believing that for yourself and your family. The wealth of the sinner will be transferred into the hand of the righteous or the just when the just know how to manage wisely. Now, as we renew our minds with these realities from the word of God, our faith is activated. And through faith, we come out of the curse of poverty and lack into a place of abundance. Abundance. 
as well as from sickness and disease into a place of healing and health. As we align our thoughts and ways with God's thoughts and God's ways, the Lord promises to restore all the years which the locusts have eaten and destroyed. And that takes place through repentance. Repentance basically means a change of mind and results in a change of attitude and behavior towards God. Listen to the promise the Lord spoke through the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty. Did you hear that? You shall eat in plenty. There shall be no lack. And be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. What a wonderful promise. God promises that as we align our thoughts and our ways with God's thoughts, with God's ways, as we seek first the kingdom of God and the interests of the kingdom above our own, he promises to restore the years of ignorance, the years which the locusts have eaten and destroyed. That is a powerful verse of scripture, and you can stand on that. I recall before I came to Christ, I was stolen from, I was abused. I was taken for granted for a whole year. I worked for my uncle for 15 hours a day. Not one day did he give me off to go and, and, and just have a good time. He said, no, you are young, you're strong, you don't need a day off. And for a solid year, for 15 hours a day, I worked and he used and abused me. And at the end, he never even gave me a salary. For a whole year, I was not paid. And that's why I left and I went somewhere else. But wherever I went, I was never really given my due wages. But when I came to Christ, when I repented and gave my heart to the Lord, I've experienced the true redemption that the scripture says. Not only I was delivered from the power of death and I came into life eternal, but God began to transform and change not only my physical being, but also my financial situation. I recall I used to suffer from constant migraine headaches and I was sick almost every week. But through Christ, God healed and restored me, healed me from those migraine headaches, and not only that, restored me financially. And ever since then, I had never lacked to this day. God is faithful to his promises, people. And I want to proclaim that with all boldness and confidence, not just because the Bible says so, but I've experienced that this is the God whom we serve, who is true and faithful to his word. The word of God declares 
through the psalmist David. I was young, he says, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Glory to God. Praise be to God. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what your situation, no matter what the world experiences, recession or depression, remember that though you are in the world, you are not of the world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Your source of supply is not the earth. It is Christ's riches in glory. Now, he may use earthly means to supply your needs, but your source is from heaven. Praise God forevermore. Now, the primary reason that believers continue to live in a cycle of defeat is because they have not renewed their minds. They didn't come out of the world through the renewed mind that they continue. It's because they continue to think and act like the world does. It's because they continue to think and speak like the world does. And we need to change that. The second reason is because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that the children of Israel could not enter into their promised land because of unbelief. You can read that for yourself in Hebrews 3 verse 19. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us, as well as to them, referring to the children of Israel. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As you can see from the scriptures, that the children of Israel could not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. Now, there are two kinds of unbelief. One is the result of ignorance. You can't believe something that, that you do not know or you have not heard. But the other, which is much worse, is the result of willing disobedience. Just like Thomas did. The good news was preached to Thomas the good news of Christ's resurrection was told to him. We have seen the Lord. He's risen. What did Thomas say? Unless I see the nail print in his hands, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That is a willful a disobedience to the word of God. Though he heard the gospel, he chose not to believe. When we put our feelings and our emotions above the word of God and believe what we feel and what we see more than what the word of God declares, that is unbelief and we need to repent before God. Your feelings have nothing to do with the truth of God's word. And the word of God is not subject to how you and I feel. I'll, amen. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by feeling. Regardless of what you see or feel, the word of God is the truth. And spiritual truths 
are on a higher level than natural truths. Amen? Can somebody say amen, please? Praise God. That's good preaching. Now, the same with us. Unbelief keeps us out of what was promised to us. When we tend and prone to believe what we see more than what the Word of God says, that's unbelief. Amen? This unbelief is expressed in various forms of speech, behavior, attitude, and conduct. It is also expressed in disobedience, willful disobedience. Thomas said, I will not believe. In other words, he chose not to believe. You see, faith is a choice. Unbelief is also a choice. And when I choose to believe my flesh above the word of God, that's called unbelief. Amen? Bible faith is expressed through corresponding action. Faith always acts on the word of God. Where there is no action, there is no faith. That's what James says. Faith without works is dead. You can say you believe all you like, but unless you add action to what you say you believe, your faith is dead. If we do not mix faith with the gospel we hear, it will not profit us. Just like the word our forefathers heard did not profit them because they did not mix faith. Now, to mix faith with the gospel means that you add action to the word you hear. When God's word declares that Christ redeemed you from the curse, what you should do is act on it immediately. How do you act on that word? How do you practice that word? Well, the first thing you do, if you believe this declaration, is to receive it by faith and say, thank you, Lord, for my redemption. Thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I'm healed. Thank you, Lord, that I am delivered from the curse of poverty and lack. I praise you. I rejoice in my deliverance. And we continue to declare that from our heart, from our lips, whether it looks like it or not, because that is the truth. The second thing you do is behave and act like you are the redeemed of the Lord. Don't say anything contrary to that. Remove every negative thought from your mind. When the devil puts thoughts in your mind that are contrary to the realities of the word, reject them, resist them. When fear comes into your mind, resist it. Stop and say, fear, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. When, when symptoms come into your body and they threaten you or they tell you that you've got some incurable illness, you stop and you say, I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus and replace that thought with the word of God, with the realities of the gospel. 
I am the redeemed of the Lord. I'm not going to be. I am the blessed of the Lord. I'm not going to be. God has already done it. It belongs to me, and I take hold of it by faith because I have renewed my mind, and I believe that with my heart. We need to remove and reject all negative thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God. Scripture says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do you cast it down? You stand against it. You rebuke it in the name of Jesus, using the name and using the word of the living God. And we also need to remove from our mouths all negative confessions. Do not say with your mouth what God does not say about you. Say what he says. And when you come into agreement with what he says, that's when his power flows through you and brings about that which you have declared. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, you can have whatever you say if what you say comes from faith in your heart. Amen. So don't be moved by what you feel. Don't be moved by what you see. But rather stand firm on the word of God and declare your redemption and your deliverance from the power of the curse of the law. Psalms 107 verse 2. Underline that verse because it's very important. It tells us what to do and how to act on that word. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. What must we do? Say so. What must we say? I am the redeemed of the Lord. I am the righteousness of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've been redeemed from death, I've been redeemed from poverty and lack. I've been redeemed from sickness and disease. I've been redeemed from fear and worry and stress and guilt and shame. And thank God, the Lord has given me his joy and his peace. I'm a child of the living God. I have the life and the nature of God in my spirit. And through his exceeding great and precious promises, I have become a partaker of his divine nature. That's what we should be declaring and speaking. Remove all negative speech from your mouth. The Bible says that you are trapped by the words of your mouth and the power of life and death is in your tongue. Use your tongue wisely. The third reason, we move on to the third reason is unforgiveness. Many are still in prisons of sickness, of disease, of fear, because they refuse to forgive from the heart. I have heard Brother Hagen say more than once that if he ever found out that his faith was not working or producing any results, the first place he would look into would be the area of unforgiveness. The Bible says that faith can only work by love. Faith works by love. 
If we are not walking in the love of God, then our faith will not work. The Lord said that when you stand praying, what must we do? Forgive. God's love, the kind of love that God is, and the kind of love that God has shed into our hearts by the Spirit, walks daily in forgiveness. Jesus said, Mark 11, 25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We need to develop a heart of love toward all those around us. We need to develop a tender heart, a compassionate heart that forgives, that bears long with others. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, that is the heart of our Heavenly Father, a compassionate heart, a long-suffering heart, a heart that is tender toward all people, not just those that love you, but even those that hate you and speak evil of you. As Jesus said, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I mentioned my uncle who for a whole year, he abused and used me without even giving me anything. And one of my dreams, if I could put it that way, I swore that one day I was going to kill him. I had so much hatred in my heart towards that man. But when Christ came into my heart and the love of God was shed abroad in my heart, the first thing I did was to forgive him and to love him with the love that was not my own, but the love of Christ. And of course, I had the privilege of ministering the gospel to him many times. And I believe that in his heart, he believed because he often listened to my tapes that contained Greek preaching, and I would send them to him, and he would listen to them and welcome them. And I could see that toward the end of his life, his heart was softened, softened not just towards God, but towards his children and, and those around him. I believe that if Jesus had not forgiven those who crucified him, he would not have come out of the grave. Because he did forgive, God's power was released on his behalf and brought him out of the grave. If we do not extend true love and forgiveness to those who have hurt or wounded us, or those that we perceive have hurt us in any way, we will not be released also from our wrongdoing, even if the Lord has forgiven us. He said, the word says, if you don't forgive, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. People who find it difficult, I believe, to forgive, it's because they have lost sight of their own shortcomings 
and of their own failures. They have lost sight of God's mercy and God's forgiveness towards them. A number of years ago, I wrote in my journal on the 15th of April the following. My first 10 years in this city as a pastor seemed to be filled with turmoil, with conflict in the ministry, and strife within the church. The, the people who were in our church at that time did not really have my heart or the values of the gospel. And for 10 years, we went through one cycle of conflict into another because I was surrounded by people who had their own agendas and wanted to do things their own way. And it was during those years, the most difficult years, I believe, of my ministry, the first 10 years that we came to Cape Town and started the church, that I have learned to stand on God's word without compromising the vision that God has given me, without giving in to the demands or manipulations, even at the cost of them leaving the church. And many of them have left. I have learned during those years to develop a backbone as well as to make my forehead hard as a flint. <laughs> and often, you know, I recall they would crush on me time and time again. And, I, and, 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 and if they would not break and submit, they would eventually leave the, the church. In those times, I have learned a valuable lesson, and it is this, to forgive in order to survive in ministry and continue to follow the Lord from one season into the next. And the Lord said these words to me. He said, son, the only reason you are still in ministry today and continue to be where I've planted you 28 years ago is because through all that you have gone through, you have learned to love and you have learned to forgive, and you have learned to move on. Praise God for this valuable lesson that I have learned. And we can test whether we've forgiven people by asking ourselves a number of questions. And this is what I want to put to you today. Am I still angry with the person I have forgiven? Do I harbor any resentment towards them at all? Do I wish them any harm in any way? Do I continue to speak about what they've done to me and rehearse and bring it up? What kind of emotions or thoughts come to mind when I think about them? If I see them walking down the street, do I cross over to the other side and pretend I did not see them? Or do I walk over to them and greet them? You see, <clears throat> we can say we have forgiven. But if we keep bringing up that hurt every now and again and rehearsing it, we haven't really forgiven. Because when you forgive, you got to forget. you got to put it behind. When, when Christ forgave you and I, the Bible says he remembers no more our sins and our iniquities. Yes, the devil may try to bring it up, 
But you have a choice to listen to what he says or to reject it. Now, we can go one step further. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 says, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Forgive not only in word, but also in deed. And what we can do is add acts of kindness to our forgiveness. Do something good to those who have done you wrong. And by doing good to them, the Bible says you conquering evil with doing good. And Paul admonishes the believers in Corinth that when they approach the table of the Lord or the table of remembrance, to participate in the Lord's table with bread and wine, they must do so, he says, with faith, with love, and the reverential fear of the Lord. In fact, in the Greek Orthodox Church, when the priest calls the believers to take communion, he shouts out to them and says, with faith, with love, and the fear of the Lord approach, for the holy things are for the holy people. That is a tremendous statement. If we fail to follow these instructions, Paul warns the believers of weakness, sickness, and even premature death. Let's read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 through to 32. 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through to 32. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, what cause? For eating and drinking at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In other words, you don't come with faith. It's just a ritual to you. You don't come with love and forgiveness or a reverential fear of the Lord. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep, referring to premature death. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I personally believe that through this worldwide shaking taking place right now, through this pandemic, the body of Christ will be ushered into a whole new dimension of the reverential fear of the Lord, which ultimately will lead us into genuine repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. And one of the things that's been lacking in our churches, especially in the Western church, is a reverential fear of the Lord. People don't seem to fear the Lord anymore. They sleep around and they, and they sing in the choir. There are many sitting in the pews hearing the word of God Sunday after Sunday, and yet they live together. They live as 
They do not know Christ. And those things cannot go on anymore. God says that judgment will begin from the house of God. If we don't repent and turn and embrace the fear of the Lord, we will be judged. You can bet your life on it. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 6, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It doesn't say by the love of the Lord. Many love God, but they don't fear the Lord. And there has been a lot of preaching and teaching on the cheap grace of God, that you can live any way you want to. You don't even have to confess your sins anymore. I mean, that is cheap grace. There's no fear. And unless we embrace the fear of the Lord, there will be no departing from evil. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So let's take this time of lockdown, examine ourselves, examine our relationship with the Lord, examine our the way we think, the way we speak, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we behave toward others, and allow God to soften our hearts, to make us tender-hearted, especially toward our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. So, why... Are so many believers still in prison if Christ has risen from the dead? Number one, because of ignorance. Number two, because of unbelief. And number three, because we're not walking in the love of God and forgiveness. Father, we thank you for your precious word today. We thank you for your word is set above your name and you honor your word far above all. In fact, your word says, let God be true and every man a liar. We appreciate you for the word of God and thank you that you did send your word and delivered us from our destructions. We believe, Father, forgive our unbelief. And enable us to become diligent in being discipled by the Spirit and the Word of God. To get to work and renew our minds. And obtain a mind that is of the Spirit that leads to life and liberty. And leave behind us the worldly mannerisms. The worldly speech. The worldly conduct so that we may not partake of the world's judgments. We pray for the godly reverential fear of the Lord to fill our hearts and our minds as we walk circumspectly in this world. I pray for my spiritual family all over the world today. I pray that you would keep them and protect them and keep them under the shadow of your wings, dear Lord. And Father, we pray that you encourage and strengthen every believer worldwide 
and allow us to redeem this time wisely and emerge from this lockdown as people of light, as people of truth and salt, according to the word of God. We thank you for it and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.